welcome to the Chapter 49 podcast. Our podcast is for, we're actually recording this on the last day of August 2021, August 31, uh, just before we uh, begin the month of September. So we appreciate the fact that you're watching and listening. We are on uh, We have a video on YouTube, and we also have the audio portion we've had up ever since we started nearly a year and a half ago. So once again, uh, we bring in our chapter president, Duncan Giles, to our Chapter 49 podcast. So Duncan, uh, it's interesting. We had a podcast last Friday, and we're (laughs) recording early this week uh, just to fit our schedules. And guess what? A lot of what we talked about last week changed hours after we posted the podcast. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. You know, do it on Thursday morning, get it out by Thursday afternoon, and and then by uh, Friday morning, boom. Yeah, and it's uh, what, what's most interesting about that is that uh, we talked a lot about how there was nothing being pushed out to the employees, and man, that that happened pretty fast. Uh, that something was sent out to the employees. But we want to talk about the whole issue of the attestation form, which was the main subject of our last podcast and will be our first subject today. It's out there. It's on HR Connect. There are deadlines now for employees to complete it and send it back. So what has just kind of give us a summary of what's happened on this issue since you and I last talked on a podcast? Yeah, it's been one of those things where, uh, yeah, we talked about it on the podcast, and I did say that the uh, you know the dates were kind of written in sand because of the fact they could be pushed back because this was something that was relatively quickly pushed out that NTU found out about it hadn't been much talk, and then all of a sudden the dates are firm and we're rolling. Um, a couple of the points I want to hit is employees do get time on the clock to do this. Uh, There has been, I've seen no consistent message from upper level management to any of the units to say, okay, do it on this, put it under this code, do something like that. How long it's going to take depends on how easy it is to get into HR Connect. Once you get into HR Connect and find and find the attestation form, it doesn't take that long, but it's, um, you know, Getting onto HR Connect, making sure it's loaded, that sort of thing can take a little bit of time depending upon the amount of traffic on there. The second thing I want to mention on this is you're going to be hearing from management that you have to do this. You have to fill out this form. They have to have it. No, they do not. If you choose not to fill out the form, they're going to look at this like you have not been vaccinated and you will be subject to the testing. So, you know, you don't have to fill this out, but know that if you don't, you are going to be treated as that you don't want to, um, you know, you're not saying anything, you will be subject to the testing. You can say on the attestation form itself that you are, actually it's an app not you know on hr connect not a form that you can say you know i don't want to disclose that is one of the options that you can use but if you choose to not participate at all they'll just treat you as the fact that you're saying i haven't been vaccinated and you'll be subject to the testing so i know this 
gets very confusing. So let me go back over this again, because technically, as far as NTEU is concerned, if an employee does not want to fill this form out, you don't have to fill it out. Just the consequence will be you will be subjected to the testing regime, whatever it may be, whenever it's rolled out. But also on the form or the online version of the form, uh, you are going. You have an option to say, I don't want to disclose there as well. So there are two different ways. You can simply refuse not to give the information. Am I understanding that correctly? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, once you get in, it'll ask if you, you know, have, you're fully vaccinated. You've had your shot, so you're in the middle of being vaccinated. You are not vaccinated or you don't wish to disclose. Those are going to be the four options. If you are vaccinated or you have are in the process of it, it will ask you, you know, which what you've had, the Moderna, the Pfizer, the J&J. And then it will ask you if you know the date when you had your last uh, your last test. Like I said, it doesn't take that long to fill it out. Um, it's just getting to it and finding it. And submitting it. That doesn't take long either as based on what you're hearing. Clicking a button. Okay, so you're, there's no turn. Clicking a button and you're done. So it has have there been reports that HR Connect is hard to get into because so many people are getting into it. I've heard reports at different times it's been down, and I would I would um, say that that's most probably due to the fact that it's being overloaded because so many people are going on there to put their information in or say I don't want to participate or don't want to disclose. And we are to attest attestation form normally consists of a signature. Now, you do not have a normal, you know, pick up a, a pen and, and write your signature. This will be the equivalent of a signature online. Am I understanding that correctly? Absolutely. Yeah. Basically, there is a checkbox that you are attesting to the information that you've put in this is true. So if you're saying that you've been vaccinated, you're saying, you know, and you put down the type of vaccination and when you were vaccinated last you are saying that this is true, and that is the same equivalent to signing a government document. So it has that same weight. So once you attest to this and you send it in, submit it, even if you choose not to disclose the information, whatever you're putting, if you do disclose any information on that form, online form, you must be telling the truth that it must be correct to the best of your knowledge. We need to remind people of that, correct? Absolutely. We don't want to have where people are saying and, and, you know, that they've been, uh, that they've been vaccinated when they have, you do not absolutely do not want to do that. Uh, that could lead to some severe disciplinary problems down the road. And once again, just to repeat what you said earlier and to put it into context, if an employee says, I do not wish to fill out the form online at all, then, that should be the end of the discussion. Uh, there should be no discipline or any ramifications for someone who says, I simply choose not to submit the form. Am I understanding that correctly? That is absolutely correct. I would say for anybody in uh, any members in Indiana who are listening to this, who have a manager who says you have to do this or it's insubordination, I would say contact myself or Chief Steward Gail Groves immediately. If you are you know, outside of the state of Indiana, I would contact your uh, chapter and let them know that because there is basically, like I said, it's it's you're refusing to fill it out. You're refusing to sign it. So it has the same thing as you don't want to disclose. 
Yeah, there's an old saying in law that you own your own signature. You don't have to sign anything you don't want to sign. Sometimes there are implications to that. Well, you know, I've, I've seen people who refuse to, to sign their uh, annual appraisal. You know, manager simply notes electronically or on, on paper, however it's done these days, you know, employee refuses to sign. It still has the same effect, but you are choosing not to sign. It is your choice. So I assume that general legal concept remains. That would be correct. Okay. Well, you know, here's the other thing. If, if you attest to the fact that you are vaccinated and you give all the information correctly to the government, uh, that's probably all you're going to have to deal with in terms of the whole system of, of, of vaccination. However, if you say, I am not vaccinated, or if you, uh, if you say on the form, I'm not going to disclose either way, or you fail to fill out the form by your own choice. So if you're doing anything but saying, I am vaccinated and here's the details, you will be subjected to testing. And you and I have talked about testing a lot. Your daughter works in the healthcare field. You're getting some more information from the National Union and some other sources. Uh, uh, IRS has been saying to the National Union now for several days that they don't want to even talk about what system or how they'll, what they're going to use or how they're going to in, in be testing employees until they know how many employees they're going to need to test on a weekly basis. But uh, that's not going to be a simple task. Explain what you know about this right now. Uh, it is not there. I think every agency is now starting to figure out, wow, this is going to be incredibly expensive. It's going to be very labor intensive. And we don't really have a system. It's one thing to do it at a Kansas City service center. You can have, you know, a health uh, officials there, a contractor there that does this. And you can do it on site. It's a different thing to do that in an Evansville, Indiana, in a Dubuque, Iowa, in a, um, you know, Pittsburgh uh, outskirt in Pennsylvania. I mean, when you're getting different size PODs, you're not going to have somebody on site there. So who do you have do it? Are there going to be interagency cooperation to have, you know, at, at certain places? Is it going to be a national contract? If so, you know, one of the things they've said is, well, we're going to give them an hour to go and get the testing and come back, get the test and come back. Well, okay, what if there's a huge line for testing, like there is in many places, including Indiana? What if this is saying they're saying oh wait we're not going to be able to give you an instant test it's going to take a couple of days um you know there there are so many different different ramifications here that still have to be worked out and national ntu trust me is pressing irs on all of these to get as much information as possible i don't think that they'll be rolling out the testing anytime soon they're trying to gather all this information to figure out what they need to do. And then they're going to figure out how they need to do it. Well, I mean, what you're hearing and, and uh, what, what the National Union has been uh, discovering just through conversations, uh, dealing with other agencies and other federal unions, and, and just looking at what, what data is out there, information is out there, uh, we may be looking at weeks, some say months, before <clears throat> any... Uh, any protocol for testing could possibly be implemented is uh, to me, that's amazing for the following reason. I mentioned this last time, but it, it's worth saying again, 
if we have unvaccinated people in these workplaces, to the extent people are showing up for work, if we have unvaccinated people in these workplaces, and it's going to take weeks to start the testing, what does that say? Uh, that's going to prove interesting. If somebody is on site and they are unvaccinated, you know, are they going to be treated any differently than folks who are vaccinated? Are they going to be you know, said, okay, you've got to remain six feet apart. We need to make sure that there are certain protocols that you have to follow that perhaps people who have been vaccinated don't. We haven't heard the details of any of that yet. Now, granted, we're still under an evacuation order, but there are large pockets, i.e. service centers and to smaller extent call sites that have a great many uh, people in their places of work. And I'm sure that they're going to be a decent percentage of unvaccinated employees that are there. So we, again, there are a lot of unanswered. We have some answers to some questions. We do know now, we didn't know last time, it was Thursday, not Friday. I think I was wrong on that. Last Thursday when you and I talked, uh, there was a pretty quick action by the management to roll this this uh, this, this attestation form out. But as far as testing is concerned, you know, this is going to be a hard lift, and I think that this is going to be difficult for the management in a number of ways. I did see an article just today that the United States Postal Service is now instructing all of their employees working in any workplace, and most of them do work in an office or, you know, working uh, in the workplace, not at home, that anyone working for USPS will be wearing a mask, vaccinated or unvaccinated. Now, could we be headed that direction? Well, we already are to a large extent because right now they have said, you know, you're if you are in a uh, a hot area, a high spread area for Delta, that you should be wearing a mask. When I step out of my office, I'm absolutely wearing a mask. Um, to management's knowledge, if I'm in my office, I'm wearing a mask. Uh, <laughs> that's the Schrodinger's cat type thing. Uh, <laughs> so that's that. That we do have our podcast exception, right? Exactly. Um, but I mean, that's, yeah, in, uh, in any workspace where you're in a hot area, you're supposed to be wearing your mask when you're around any people whatsoever. So that's, that's already out there. I looked and at, I a, don't see I, that changing right now. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you, but, uh, I saw a map yesterday, which basically said every state in the union is a hot area for this, this variant. That's not very encouraging. No, Delta is out there and it's spreading and it's continuing to spread because we do have so many unvaccinated people. People talk about the breakthrough stuff and I'm not going to get into a large technical discussion, but yeah, no, um, you know, no vaccination is perfect and you are going to have breakthroughs, but the vast majority of breakthroughs are where you don't have near severe symptoms as you would. So you're not ending up in the hospital. You're not ending up on the ICU unit or worse. So that's that's why it's just the smart thing to do is get the vaccine. My local health department where I live here in Fishers, Indiana, uh, revealed some statistics recently that if you catch COVID and you're uh, unvaccinated, the chance of dying is like one out of 237. If you're vaccinated, the chances of dying are like one out of 18,700. To me, that says it all. Yeah, it does. It really does. It's just the, you know, the the numbers don't lie. 
And those who are unvaccinated are playing a very dangerous, to me, are playing a very dangerous game of Russian roulette. Well, tied into all this is the evacuation order. And you meant you already mentioned that. What the evacuation order means is that people who are on telework are on telework all the time in most cases. Some people might come into the office every now and then, but for the most part, the service would just assume you not come in the office if you can work at home effectively. Uh, so what that means is that there's no requirement to come in to the office those two days every pay period the contract calls for as long as there is an evacuation order in place. Uh, just to give people a, a, a reminder here, it was uh, just not several weeks. It was several weeks. It was several weeks ago, not uh, any other timeline. Just uh, several weeks ago, that every federal agency sent into their agency heads and OPM or the White House their plans for getting out of the evacuation orders. And as soon as those uh, re- plans were in, that was when. The variant started getting particularly difficult, particularly the Delta variant became very dangerous, and uh, it appears that there's no action in sight on that. So I think the one thing that you would like to, to mention here, the status of this evacuation order, which impacts a lot of people, their ability to work at home all the time in many cases, at this time, uh, do we foresee a time in the near future when that evacuation order might be lifted or amended? No. Uh, the, the the quick answer to that is no. You know, IRS is going to give 30 days notice to employees before they um, recall them from working at home to working in the office, uh, depending upon their telework schedule. But right now, I, I can tell you for a fact, if somebody says, I know when the evacuation order is going to be lifted for the IRS, they're a liar because nobody knows because nobody knows how long Delta is going to be like this. Delta burns through a lot of area and goes through quickly, but the remnants of it are out there and it keeps passing from one person to another. So we just don't know at this point. The only thing we do know is there'll be 30 days notice. Let's move on to the pay raise. Uh, the pay raise still is uh, in in process. Uh, the president has, has uh, signed a document that basically says he's in favor of a 2.7% increase unless the Congress comes up with another number. That's what it will be. And and uh, there are some people in Congress and some, some people then to you are pushing for a 3.2% increase. That's a, a longer shot, but that effort's still out there. And I think the one thing I want to say, and again, it it's not finished, it's not a done deal. That seems to be the most likely figure is a 2.7% increase. That is an average increase. And let me say, you might want to talk about how most of Indiana is in the rest of the U.S., which will get sadly a lower increase. Uh, we have the Indianapolis metro area, and of course, our people in Merrillville who were tied into the Chicago um, pay situation. So even though at 2.7% out there, you may get more or less than that. Exactly so. Yeah, the base is going to be 2.2% with a half percent for locality pay. So as you mentioned, the folks who are in the rest of the U.S. who are not tied to these metropolitan areas that get a little bit more due to a higher cost of living are going to be getting you know, less than 2.7%. Indianapolis will probably be getting just below 2.7%. You know, you're talking, you know, your places like Merrillville, 
which is tied to Chicago, your San Francisco's, your Washington DCs, they're going to be looking at uh, a higher amount just because the cost of living is higher there. So we know everybody's going to get at least 2.2. The 0.5% is going to be in play depending upon what area you're in, rest of the U.S. or a particular metropolitan area. You know, Duncan, years ago, somebody asked me about how that is, is figured. Is it cost of living or cost of something else? I looked into this, and when locality pay began many years ago, and I don't know if it's still the case, I think it is, that this is really not tied to the cost of living. It's cost, I mean, it's tied to the cost of labor. And that's, I always wondered why, for instance, Houston, Texas got so much larger increase, so much of a larger increase than other parts of the country. And it's because so much of the oil industry is headquartered there and they had these highly paid engineers that work for the oil industry. And that just jumps up the cost of labor in that community. So, you may think it should be cost of living. That's kind of indirectly a part of it. But generally, that calculation is done based on the cost of labor, which I always found interesting. That is interesting. And yeah, labor would be a cost that would attribute to the other things that would go with the cost of living. But yeah, I did not realize that that uh, locality was labor versus cost of living in that particular area. Yeah, because San Francisco has a higher cost of living than Houston, but Houston sometimes often has a higher raise because of the fact that the cost of labor is risen by the, the certain uh, sectors of the labor market, which I, I had to look into that several years ago, which I found you know, everybody assumed it was cost of living as I did until I dug deep into it. But, oh, okay, cost of labor, that makes a little more sense. As far, well, as the way the cost of labor is going up or across the country, it should be a little well, bit higher than for everybody. Yeah, you would think so. Yeah, that is true. <laughs> people, yeah, people are making more money. Uh, than ever before, and that's long overdue. But that, that's a mm-hmm. whole other whole other issue there. So at this point, the two point seven percent is is looks like that's the most likely one. You may get more or less than that uh, wherever you live and happen to work, wherever your post of duty is located. I should be specific about that. But uh, we're watching yeah, that. Go ahead, please, Duncan. And I, I do want to mention that you said that NTU was pushing uh, for that. Yeah, there are. A lot of federal unions pushing for the 3.2%. There are members of Congress that are looking at 3.2% as well. So 3.2% is not dead. You know, if you want to, uh, on your own time and using your own equipment, contact your congressperson or senator and ask about that. Absolutely. Yeah, nothing. That is your right as a as a citizen to do that. Just make sure you do it without getting into any issues with the Catch Act, and that's what you're referring to there. Just exactly make sure you do it on your own time, your own equipment, and that's that's perfectly legal. Just don't do it while you're working or on the, the government's equipment or software. Uh, that's that's the basic rule. We always try to remind people of that. So let's move on to to something else. Um, we have talked about this many times because you were on the a permanent member of the national group from NTEU that negotiated the national agreement extension, which technically begins on October 1st, although I think you've said a few things will actually be phased in before that. For the Mm -hmm. most part, it will be October 1st for most of the provisions in that contract, and you feel you negotiated a very good and fair contract for employees. We've talked about that at length. It's been ratified by Chapter 49 in a meeting. 
It's now been ratified by enough uh, local chapters that the union has ratified it, which means that the management's already agreed to it. There's one more hurdle we have to go over. I'd have to clear to get this uh, all done for sure and tell us what that hurdle is. Uh, that's one of my favorites. Uh, yeah, all the uh, the chapters that took ratification votes, and I believe the vast majority, if not all IRS chapters did that, um, every single chapter voted to ratify this contract, which is uh, a good sign in which they should have. Uh, you know, so like I say, we agreed to it at the table. The chapters have agreed to it. Now we come to the infamous agency head review. And that's when a couple of attorneys in the Department of Treasury get to take a look at this and see if it meets their standards. And that's always something interesting. I particularly enjoy it when they come back and object to something that's been in the contract for, well, 15, 20 years. That's always fun. Hopefully, we will not have a large amount of issues. Um, hopefully, it'll just be some wordsmithing. There's, there's always at least a little bit of wordsmithing. And as long as it doesn't change the intent or the meaning of the articles, you know, that's, that's to be expected. But anything more than that, that usually causes a problem. But I, I really can't foresee it in this instance. So we'll keep people up to date. Uh, you will do that. I will do it on this podcast and at our uh, Facebook page. If you want to follow or like our Facebook page, just go on to Facebook and uh, you can search NTEU Chapter 49, Indiana, and we'll send updates on issues like that and others as well. One last thing I want to talk about, and this came from um, a, a source that covers federal employee issues. There's a, a, a committee in the House of Representatives dealing with the Defense Department that is uh, moving forward with uh, something called the uh, Annual Defense Policy Bill, which is very important as to how the Defense Department is run. It is, I think, still the largest agency in the executive branch in terms of size and, and it has the biggest civilian workforce as well as uniform people. That uh, that policy bill coming out of the House committee would repeal something called the two-year probationary period, which has been in the law for a very long time for the entire, almost the entire civilian federal workforce. What it would say is that all the new hires at defense, instead of a two-year probationary period, now would have a one-year probationary period. That's a very important issue because all the contract provisions in a union contract do not take effect until you have finished your probation period. That uh, two-year probation period is extremely long, especially compared to the, to the private sector, where quite often that's a 90-day period. One year is even a long time, and the federal government has had two years for a very, very long time. If that could be uh, changed at the Defense Department, the Defense Department often uh, becomes a template for other federal agencies. So if this does, and again, it's early stages, nothing's been uh, approved finally, but this is uh, an encouraging sign. Absolutely. Yeah, there are some positions, uh, many positions here in the IRS that do have a two-year probationary period. And that was, it. you know, it used to be one, then it increased to two. So I'm, I'm with you. It's, it, if you don't know if somebody's doing the job after one year, um, that's, that's a management issue right there that your manager is not aware of what's going on in, uh, their group, because that one year you should, you should have a pretty good handle on 
someone's ability to do the particular job. Uh, two years is a bit excessive. So if this does come to be for the Defense Department, I can guarantee that National NTU will be looking at this to seeing what can be done for other parts of the executive branch to be able to um, to get that down to the one year. Well, Duncan, we kept it right at 30 minutes this time, uh, your final minute or so of uh, wrapping it up. I just want everybody to take care of themselves. And, you know, whether it's, you know, you folks know that if you've listened or seen this podcast, you know that I'm very pro-vaccine, you know, pro-health, though, as well. You know, I just had my annual physical um, last Friday. The doctor did tell me I'm still alive, which, you know, amazed both of us. But you want to, you know, you want to take care of yourself. And, you know, because we want you to be here. We want you to be here until you can run out of here when you want to retire. So, you know, do what you need to do to take care of yourself. See your doctor. Get vaccinated. Just just be here for us. Yes, Duncan. You know, I've uh, been retired 10 years and I'm still here. I had my annual physical uh, a few weeks before yours. And the doctor said, I'm going to be around for a little while. So I guess... <laughs> It's, it's my doctor didn't make any promises. All she basically, my doctor was retiring in a month, so she just was like, "This was her great accomplishment." I've been going to her for thirty years, longest relationship with a woman I've ever had, and uh, you know she's she's just amazed. And I told her she should get an award for keeping me alive all these years. Well, she should, and uh, <laughs> my doctor should be a candidate for the same award. To be honest with you. <laughs> Uh, so, hey, you just heard Duncan Giles. He's the chapter president here for Chapter 49. We represent most IRS employees in the state of Indiana. We appreciate you watching and listening with whichever way you do consume this podcast. Uh, if you like it, let your friends know. And if you want to be uh, aware of when this posts, all you have to do is send Duncan Giles an email, nteu49 at aol.com. So thank you so much for watching and listening. Please be safe and be kind.